0: title is the struggle is real if you didn't figure it out yet and you haven't been paying attention maybe and you fell asleep before the sermon which is sad we're in ephesians 6 we're in the world of the armor of god paul is trying to finish his letter that he is probably writing chained to a roman officer by the way and he wants to have bunnies and unicorns and everything to be great because he knows, as we as ministers know sometimes, that sometimes we make it, we explain it to you and it sounds really hard. And for those of you who have been here the last several weeks, congratulations you came back and didn't give up. Because those things are hard and it's tough. Do you ever feel like it's just really way too tough? Well, you're not alone. Paul Paul probably felt that way. Paul probably had the mantra of, life is unfair. And it's not fair that it's unfair. Ever felt that way? It just doesn't seem fair. Well, guess what? It may be because it's true. Think of that as your starting place for our discussion of spiritual aspects of demons, of angels, of all these things that we seem to be obsessed with culturally, whenever it's convenient, because whenever we talk about it, it makes us feel better, like we're doing something spiritual. Like we checked a little box and said, oh, I talked about spiritual things today, God, so that's good. Or, as the minister joke goes, which some of us experienced, you know, in the, in the biblical text where it says, you sh- those who shall endure to the end, We applied that to the church service and thought if it was like three hours and we suffered through it to the end, check the box. Well, we thought it was supposed to be awful, and we just checked the box, and sometimes it may be. Before I talk about spiritual warfare, we got about three warnings that I just want to make sure I do quickly and not obsess about. Whenever we talk about spiritual warfare, demons and angels and all these things that we visualize, that we romanticize in all of our literature and we always have. Three warnings. One, we overemphasize it. We look around and we see a demon under every corner. We failed a test and that was the demon's fault. Or my car didn't start and that was the demon of the car not starting. Or my electricity got turned off. No, that's because you didn't pay your bill. That wasn't because of this. We have all these things that we imagine and we see evil everywhere. And we blame it on other sources. Oh, the devil made me do it or they made me do it. Great. Great. Maybe you just did it. Highly, highly likely. But in fairness, there's a danger of underemphasis. There's a danger if you want to be amazed by a writing style that still works today. If you want to read the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis. If you want to ponder all of the things that evil does against you. And you will notice carefully, because I've read ahead... Unfortunately, I've read ahead in the Greek, so it doesn't make the passage quite as exciting, unfortunately. um, That I will refer to this constantly as evil. What you visualize as evil does not matter to me. But evil. And we imagine, well, nothing bad can happen to me. It'll all be wonderful, and it won't be bad, and we visualize all these wonderful things. That's probably not so good either. But third, and most importantly for today's sermon, is the word we know as Satan or Hasatan or Satanus. Didn't have to practice those. Those were easy. The Hebrew and the Greek word that really should be translated as Satan or Hasatan doesn't really appear by the biblical writers very often. Doesn't appear in our text today, by the way. So just be careful that we have associated a lot of things to the biblical text that may not be there. A lot of things that I believe and I think are true and that you believe and you think are true come from Greco-Roman culture. Your idea of hell or Hades and your idea of pitchforks and fire and all those things, that comes from Greco-Roman culture. Just so we're clear. I'm not trying to say those things may or may not be true just trying to say that when we think of those terms, we're not thinking of the way Jesus might have used it or Paul might have used it. We're thinking of how it would have been used in Greco-Roman culture. Just be careful of that. Whenever the issue of Satan, the devil, or anything comes up in your reading of the biblical text, the translators did the best they could, but it may not mean what you think it means. Okay, no discussion of spiritual battles can ever happen without the words, Paul's words in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4 read like this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. If Paul were living here in the 21st century, he would say, we don't fight with guns. We don't fight with words. We don't fight with missiles. We don't fight with bombs. We fight against powers, against evil. Now, we will notice if you've made it through this entire sermon series in the book of Ephesians, the word strongholds appears again because when we do not forgive others and do not own the portion of what we, what we should have had, a stronghold of evil sets up against us. So just so you understand, Paul is coming back to that issue. Now, I'm going to try to go through this quickly with only stopping a little bit. I'm going to read to you Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10 through 20. Verse 10 starts with, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Real quick, just so you can tie this together and see that I'm not just making stuff up. I'm just trying to get you to see this. The word translated in most English translations, devil, is the Greek word diabolos. If you were here previously when we were working through this text, diabolos doesn't mean adversary. It means any person or thing that is working against good. You know that person who did that thing to you? Those people who did those things to you? Those people who did so many things you had to write the whole list down to see why it's so hard to forgive them? So that you can take your stand against the Diabolos' schemes. Verse 12 continues, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on your full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplates of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Real quick, evil one is better translated toilsome one, annoying one, tedious one. That little, you know, you get that little pain in your back and it just won't go away. Yeah. So, we should acknowledge evil, we should acknowledge all these things, but just make sure that we're clear about that. And if you didn't get the point, you take up all this armor so you can stand, if you didn't hear that 5,000 times so far. What we know is verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I'm not trying to confuse you, and I'm not trying to diminish this because I struggle with this also. Whenever we read in the biblical text Word of God, do not immediately assume that means the biblical text. Two reasons. One, the Bible, as you know it, had not come together when these words were written. Two, word usually refers to the voice of God, the power of God, these things. It rarely in the biblical text refers to actual the Old Testament or those things. Just understand that when you read the phrase, the logos of God. Verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. can't skip the part that Paul is probably chained to a different Roman officer every 12 hours, and he probably tells them about Jesus for 12 hours straight. So when he says, pray for me, understand that's what's going on. Now, people who analyze this from a literary standpoint, use literary critical method, What Paul is writing in the first century is the equivalent of a battle cry that you might see in the movie Braveheart, or you might see in some Shakespearean work, or, since we're talking about helmets, it might be that really good pregame speech or halftime speech that the football coach gives. That's what he's doing. That's what this is. This is, you can do it. I know it was hard. I know we have to own these things, and I know we have to be submissive, and I understand all those things, but you can do this. Real quick, let me just try to do, and I know it doesn't fit my normal pattern, we're going to cover four things very quickly about this text. And one I suspect you've never heard before, because I hadn't really thought about it till this week. One, Paul wants to know that you are not alone in battles. You are never, ever alone in this spiritual battle. 2 Kings chapter 6 is a narrative where someone is there, and the prophet says, Don't worry. I know it looks like we're all alone, but we're not. And he opens up the eyes of the person, and they can see all the spiritual things that are going on around them visualize you're in the Chronicles of Narnia or you're in the Lord of the Rings, any of those type narratives, and suddenly you see all these special people around you protecting you. Paul wants them to know that, yeah, you have spiritual armor, but that means you're part of an army, not just a part of something that's just you. Two, act like prayer's bigger than you think. And I know this is a scary text and we tend not to read it very much, but in Daniel chapter 10, if you're not familiar with the book of Daniel, the first six chapters are those narratives that we know when King Nebuchadnezzar and we have the veggie tales of Rakshak and Benny and all those wonderful things. Then we get to chapter seven and we just get confused because it starts talking about stuff we don't understand. What we know is chapter ten, Daniel has been praying for twenty one days straight. Any of you have ever heard of the Daniel plan or the Daniel diet? This is where they get the 21 days from. Um, he's prayed for 21 days straight, and he doesn't think anything's happened. He sees a vision, as Daniel often saw, of you can read it yourself and see what you want to do with the Hebrew, because I'm not an expert in Hebrew. But one of the angels says, we were blocked by these demons and we couldn't get through, but because you prayed, I could get, the demon finally got pushed out of the way, and I could come help you. You feel free to read that on your own. When I tell you what a Greek word is, just smile and nod and go, okay, he probably knows what he's talking about. If I tell you what a Hebrew word is, go check it. So you go read that yourself, okay? Having said that, not so long ago in a Birmingham jail, Martin Luther King Jr. said, what what else is there to do when you are alone for days in the dull monotony of a narrow jail cell other than write long letters think strange thoughts, and pray long prayers. Remember that quote, because we will come back to it. Here are the two important ones. I had to get those out because I'm required being a minister to get those two out. Here's number three. Spiritual armor, or the Roman spiritual armor, protected mostly your 12 and not much of your 6. Many of you have not a clue what I'm talking about. The concept of your 12 and your 6... According to tradition comes from flying and military and protecting. Let me just give you the basic, all you need to know. Some of you know this very up close and personal because you serve in positions where you need to know what's on your 12, what's on your 6. We never say what's on your 3. I'll have to cover that another time. Um, It comes from a clock. Visualize the 12 as being directly in front of you and the 6 being behind you. You need people to protect your six because you can see your 12. When you read back through the armor that Paul describes, in Roman tradition, there's some things we miss. It's okay that we miss it because we think of medieval armor and King Arthur. Roman soldiers, and this sounds awful, you're really glad you work today. You ever worked a job and they made you pay a whole bunch of money for your uniform just so you had the right to work? Now imagine you got drafted into the Roman army, and you have to go buy your own armor. That's what most Roman soldiers had to do. Now imagine you're so low in the totem pole, you are stuck next to Paul in prison for 12 hours. You're chained to him, by the way. You don't get to get up, and inserting the video that Justin joked about, you don't get to get up for 12 hours. So there's not a problem of where to find the toilet. You don't get to use one for 12 hours. So you're very low on the totem pole. So we're assuming you don't have a lot of prestige. Every single one of the armor things that are described in Roman armor went on the front. There's not anything on the back. So in Roman tradition, now if you know your Roman fighting methods... They set up in formations where there's always someone behind you. And if there's not someone behind you, you are so far back, there is not possibility anybody's getting to you. Your spiritual armor, your connection with God, your connection with the world, your connection fighting the spiritual battles that need to be fought that are in front of you, God can give you the ability to win those battles. But you need other people behind you, supporting you, to protect your six. This is why we have things called churches. This is why we have things called small groups. This is why we have things where we come and we meet together, because you need that other person. You can't survive without them, and they can't survive without you. I don't want to overplay this, because Paul would have used this text in a pacifist standpoint, and Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. would have been very proud, but... When you go to war, you need an army with you. And you need that army to protect your six. The spiritual armor doesn't really help you with that. Other people help you with that. When you abandon other people and forget about other people, we miss a point. Having said all that, here's Paul's main point you got to fight a battle worth fighting. Some of you, when I say spiritual warfare, you start thinking about that uncle or that niece or that brother-in-law who you've got to see for Thanksgiving. You know the one, and you know the joke. If you don't, can't think of the one in your family, you're it. Every family has one. And you just don't want to see them because they're going to make little quippy little comments. Oh, you can't do that, can you? Oh, that's right, because you have to go read your Bible. Or, oh, no, you can't do that because you have to go to church. Oh, you can't do that. Oh, I'm sorry I said that in front of you. That might be offensive to you and Jesus. Though that is annoying, and I'm sure at some point... Actually, I know for a fact there's a sermon series coming on how to deal with that and how to solve that problem. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about real battles, really worth fighting. Now, it would not be a John Self sermon with fighting battles if we didn't have some imagery. I need some imagery. Thank you. For those of you listening later, two actresses of reasonable quality in the real world but not as superheroes are on the screen. Uh, We have DC's Wonder Woman and Marvel's Captain Marvel. I know many of you thought Captain Marvel was a guy. No. The Wonder Woman genre has always been, except for the fact that Wonder Woman seems to never have any clothes on, Wonder Woman is always fighting against the male-dominant society. Wonder Woman is always speaking up for justice and fighting for justice and fighting battles that aren't even hers. Wonder Woman is the one, I know it's poorly portrayed in the movies, but in the comics, when Superman and Green Lantern and Batman get into a fight, yeah, it's kind of cool. Wonder Woman is the one who has to solve the problem. Wonder Woman who has to use the lasso of truth to get people to see the truth. Does Wonder Woman get pushed around and ignored and have to make a lot of really submissive decisions that a lot of us wouldn't want? Yes. But in the comics, she always stands up and fights the battles that need to be fought. Captain Marvel, in the comics, has to stand up for the fact and, that she has to, ignored by people because she's a girl, that's the exact quote. It's constantly said. You're just a girl when she's like a 25-year-old woman. You're just a girl, and you don't know what you're doing. And she steps up in the comic imagery, and I warned you about this in my very first sermon. In the comic imagery of the cree Scroll War, which I know way too much about, she is the solution to a war that covers the entire intergalactic world. And even when she's not sure what to do, she stands up for people who are in front of her. And she picks that battle. Even when she is the one being picked on, she chooses to stand up for others. She picks a battle that's worth fighting. In American Baptist tradition, because he finished his ministerial career as an American Baptist, we run to Martin Luther King Jr. Yes, Martin Luther King Jr., who collected the same retirement and life benefits that I do as a member of MMBB, the American Baptist Retirement Organization. He died approximately 51 years ago, was shot for what he believed, because he felt that everyone should be treated equal no matter the color of their skin. In a time as sermon illustration I use often of Muhammad Ali being the world champion of the world and coming back to Louisville, Kentucky, and there were sides of the street he couldn't go on because he was the wrong color. It would be easy for Martin to take his education, in which, as I've shown you before, that he barely passed preaching class in, at an American Baptist institution, that's another discussion, would have been easier for him to just take something simple and do something simple and just do it. But in the memoirs and the biographies that have been written about him, especially those that have been written by our African-American friends, they say he decided to fight a battle because he knew it was a battle that he needed to win. Well, maybe racism is not as alive and wonderful as it used to be, but If you were in Charlottesville, Virginia in August 2017, or in Charleston, South Carolina in June 2015, you might say different. But Martin Luther King didn't just do this because he wanted to do it. He did it, as Eugene Rivers wrote... It was the Holy Spirit which he allowed to work in him and through him that made Martin Luther King Jr. the most influential voice of conscience and religious freedom in the United States in the 20th century. Rivers' statement about the role of the Holy Spirit in King's work resounds with profound consequences. In his article, Rivers argues that the forces such as white supremacy, racism, empowerment of those who are above, are spiritual forces of evil, are diabolos. And they cannot be combated without the Holy Spirit. Now, whether or not the Holy Spirit inspires your cultural or political activism, I'll let you figure that out on your own. But when there is evil in the world, that is the spiritual battle worth fighting. Jesus came to this earth in the mess and said to the disciples, this is how I want you to pray. Pray that God's kingdom comes to the earth. How does God's kingdom come to the earth? Because people fight battles that matter. It's real easy for us to sit and to talk and to ponder about how difficult your life is, and it is often difficult, and it is often unfair, and I totally get that. But if you go back and read Ephesians from the beginning to the end, which is the way it would have been read in worship with people standing, no pretty chairs, no pretty nothing, you will overwhelmingly hear Paul say, if you want to push back the darkness, you're going to have to be the light in places that really don't want you. Martin Luther King Jr. died because he went to push back the darkness. Maybe we can't solve all the problems in the world and God has not called you to solve all the problems in the world. Jesus did not come to this earth and walk around in this earth and solve every single problem he saw. If you struggle with that, feel free, we'll schedule a small group and we'll talk about that for three years and not solve it. But I don't know, he didn't solve everything. Jesus dealt with one mess at a time. God has not called you to solve every mess in the world. God's called you to solve a mess. Or at least gather together with a bunch of your other people in their armor of God and in getting your... Formation so that you're protecting your twelve and your six and work together to make a difference in the world. We do not fight for victory spiritually. We fight from victory. First John 4, 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than than the one who is in the world. Paul wanted to finish this letter with the words, we win. And if that seems like just hollow words to you, I get it. But remember, your faith is based in a historical event of Jesus Christ, a real person who can be verified historically. They may call him Christos in some documents, just go with me. No one disputes that a man named Jesus lived. No one disputes that a man named Paul lived. And no one disputes, including atheist scholars at Vanderbilt, Oxford, and Cambridge, that a man named Jesus lived and died on a cross and was seen by disciples afterwards. Well, this seems all weird and mystical. Well, guess what? I bet it seemed weird and mystical to disciples who were fishing one day, and the next day the man that they knew was dead was alive. Your faith is based in that. If you wonder what you're supposed to do, realize they didn't know what to do either. And Paul is chained up and doesn't know what to say, and he's like, i got to say something pretty to finish this letter because I've been hard on them. Oh yeah, you have armor, and you can work together, and you can make a difference in the world just like I'm doing. And he says those words to us today. And if for you, that means making a decision right where you are, that you're going to try to deal with this evil that you see in the world, do that. If for you that means gathering together with more people so that you can work together because you can't protect your six, because you need someone else to watch it, do that. If that means you remembering or making a step towards embracing the fact that historical Jesus is not just historical, but real, and lived and died for you, do that. In this tradition, that may mean coming forward to talk to me. Don't worry, the microphone will be off. It may mean coming to pray here. It may mean praying where you are. It may be doing something afterwards. But whatever you do, if Paul were preaching this, by the way, which would be way more entertaining. If Paul were preaching this, he would want you to make a decision as he asked the church at Ephesus to do. Don't waste this opportunity. Let's pray. Holy God, there's so many things that we can say about spiritual armor and the fights and the battles and all that we go through. There's so many things that we can ponder. But we know that you're there, and we know you'll always be there. Help us remember that we need each other And we can have the most powerful armor in the world, but we still need each other. And help us to pick battles that are actually worth fighting. Because evil is out there. And you asked us to make a difference. Thank you that we have already won. We just need to enjoy it. (laughs) Thank you in Jesus' name.